Letter thirty three, part two of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty three, part two. Mr. B. looking at me and nodding his head towards Sir Jacob as he was in a flutter to be gone. I rose from my chair and went to him and took his hand. I hope, Sir Jacob, you will be able to bear both when you shall see no other difference but that of descent between the supposed Lady Jenny you so kindly praised and the girl your dear nephew has so much exalted. Let me go, said he. I am most confoundedly bit. I cannot look you in the face. By my soul, I cannot, for tis impossible you should forgive me. Indeed, it is not, sir. You have done nothing but what I can forgive you for, if your dear nephew can, for to him was the wrong, if any, and I am sure he can overlook it. And for his sake, to the uncle of so honoured a gentleman, to the brother of my late good lady, I can, with a bent knee, thus ask your blessing, and your excuse for joining to keep you in this suspense. Bless you, said he, and stamped. Who can choose but bless you? And he kneeled down and wrapped his arms about me. But curse me, that was his strange word. If ever I was so touched before. My dear Mr. B, for fear my spirit should be too much affected, for the rough baronet and his transport had bent me down lower than I kneeled, came and held my arm, but permitted Sir Jacob to raise me, only saying, How does my angel? Now she has made this conquest, she has completed all her triumphs. Angel, did you call her? I'm confounded with her goodness and her sweet carriage. Rise and let me see if I can stand myself. And believe me, I am sorry I have acted thus so much like a bear. And the more I think of it, the more I shall be ashamed of myself. And the tears, as he spoke, ran down his rough cheeks, which moved me much. For to see a man with so hard a countenance weep was a touching sight. Mr. H., putting his handkerchief to his eyes, his aunt said, What's the matter, Jackie? I don't know how tis, answered he, but here's strange doings as ever I knew. For day after day one's ready to cry without knowing whether it be for joy or sorrow. What a plague's the matter with me, I wonder. And out he went, the two ladies whose charming eyes too glistened with pleasure, smiling at the effect the scene had upon mr h and at what he said well madam said sir jacob approaching me for i had sat down but then stood up you will forgive me and from my heart i wish you joy by my soul i do and saluted me i could not have believed there had been such a person breathing i don't wonder at my nephew's loving you and you call her sister lady davers don't you if you do i'll own her for my niece don't I? Yes, I do, said she, coming to me, and am proud so to call her, and this I tell you for your comfort, though to my own shame, that I used her worse than you have done before I knew her excellence, and have repented of it ever since. I bowed to her ladyship and kissed her hand. My dearest lady, said I, you have made me such rich amends since that I am sure I may say it was good for me that I was afflicted. Why, nephew, she has the fear of God, I perceive, before her eyes, too. I'm sure I've heard those words. They are somewhere in the scripture, I believe. Why, who knows, but she may be a means to save your soul. Hey, you know. 
Ay, Sir Jacob, she'll be a means to save a hundred souls, and might go a great way to save yours if you were to live with her but one month. Well, but, nephew, I hope you forgive me, too, for now I think of it. I never knew you take any matter so patiently in my life. I knew, said Mr. B., that every extravagance you insisted upon was heightening my charmer's triumph and increasing your own contrition, and as I was not, indeed, deprived of her company, I could bear it with everything you said or did. Yet don't you remember my caution, that the less you said against her, the less you'd have to unsay, and the less to repent of? I do, and let me ride out, and call myself to account for all I have said against her in her own hearing. And when I can think of but one half, and how she has taken it by my soul, I believe twill make me more than half mad. At dinner, when we had Mr. Williams's company, the baronet told me he admired me now as much as when he thought me Lady Jenny, but complained of the trick put upon him by us all, and seemed now and then a little serious upon it. He took great notice of the dexterity which he imputed to me in performing the honours of the table, and every now and then he lifted up his eyes, very clever. Why, madam, you seem to me to be born to these things. I will be helped by nobody but you, and you'll have a task of it, I can tell you, for I have a whipping stomach, and were there fifty dishes I always taste of every one. And indeed John was in a manner wholly employed in going to and fro between the baronet and me for half an hour together. He went from us afterwards to Mrs. Jervis and made her answer many questions about me and how all these matters had come about, as he phrased it, and returning when we drank coffee said, I have been confabbing with Mrs. Jervis about you, niece. I never heard the like. She says you can play on the harpsichord and sing, too. Will you let a body have a tune or so? My Mab can play pretty well, and so can Dolly. I'm a judge of music and would fain hear you. I said, if he was a judge, I should be afraid to play before him, but I would not be asked twice after our coffee. Accordingly, he repeated his request. I gave him a tune, and at his desire sung to it. Odds my life, said he, you'd do it purely, but I see where it is. My girls have got my fingers. Then he held both hands out, and a fine pair of paws showed he. Plague aunt, they touched two keys at once, but those slender and nimble fingers, how they sweep along. My eye can't follow em. Woo, whistled he. They are here and there and everywhere at once. Why, nephew, I believe you have put another trick upon me. My niece is certainly of quality, and report has not done her justice. One more tune, one more song. By my faith, your voice goes sweetly to your fingers. Slife, I'll thrash my jades. That was his polite phrase when I get home. Lady Davers, you know not the money they have cost me to qualify them, and here's a mere baby to them out dozen by a bar's length, without any expense at all bestowed upon her. Go over that again, confound me for a puppy, I lost it by my prating. Ay, there you have it, oh, that I could but dance as well as thou singst. I'd give you a saraband old as I am. After supper we fell into a conversation of which I must give you some account, being on a topic that Mr. B. has been blamed for in his marrying me, and which has stuck by some of his friends, even after they have in kindness to me, acquitted him in every other respect, and that is the example he has set to young gentlemen of family and fortune to marry beneath them. It was begun by Sir Jacob, who said, I am in love with my new niece, that I am, 
but still one thing sticks with me in this affair which is what will become of degree or distinction if this practice of gentlemen marrying their mother's waiting-maids excuse me madam should come into vogue already young ladies and young gentlemen are too apt to be drawn away thus and disgrace their families we have too many instances of this you'll forgive me both of you that said lady davers is the only thing sir jacob has hit upon the point that would make one wish this example had not been set by a gentleman of such an ancient family till one becomes acquainted with this dear creature and then everybody thinks it should not be otherwise than it is ay pamela said mr b what can you say to this cannot you defend me from this charge this is a point that has been often objected to me try for one of your pretty arguments in my behalf indeed sir replied i looking down it becomes not me to say anything to this but indeed it does if you can and i beg you'll help me to some excuse if you have any at hand won't you sir dispense with me on this occasion i know not what to say indeed i should not if i may judge for myself speak one word to this subject for it is my absolute opinion that degrees in general should be kept up although i must always deem the present case an happy exception to the rule mr b looked as if he still expected i should say something won't you sir dispense with me repeated i indeed i should not speak to this point if i may be my own judge i always intend my dear you shall judge for yourself and you know i seldom urge you farther when you use those words but if you have anything upon your mind to say let's have it for your arguments are always new and unborrowed i would then if i must sir ask if there be not a nation or if there has not been a law in some nation which whenever a young gentleman be his degree what it would has seduced a poor creature be her degree what it would obliges him to marry that unhappy person i think there is such a law in some country i can't tell where said sir jacob and do you think sir whether it be so or not that it is equitable it should be so yes by my troth though i must needs own if it were so in england many men that i know would not have the wives they now have you speak to your knowledge i doubt not sir jacob said mr b why truly i don't know but i do all then said i that i would infer is whether another law would not be a still more just and equitable one that the gentleman who is repulsed from a principle of virtue and honour should not be censured for marrying a person he could not seduce and whether it is not more for both their honours if he does since it is nobler to reward a virtue than to repair a shame were that shame to be repaired by matrimony which i take the liberty to doubt but i beg pardon you commanded me sir else this subject should not have found a speaker to it in me this is admirably said cried sir jacob but yet this comes not up to the objection said mr b the setting an example to waiting-maids to aspire and to young gentlemen to descend and i will enter into the subject myself and the rather because as i go along i will give sir jacob a faint sketch of the merit and character of my pamela of which he cannot be so well informed as he has been of the disgrace which he imagined i had brought upon myself by marrying her i think it necessary that as well those persons who are afraid the example should be taken as those who are inclined to follow it should consider all the material parts of it otherwise i think the precedent may be justly cleared and the fears of the one be judged groundless and the plea of the other but a pretence 
in order to cover a folly into which they would have fallen, whether they had this example or not. For instance, in order to lay claim to the excuses which my conduct, if I may suppose it of force enough to do either good or hurt, will furnish, it is necessary that the object of their wish should be a girl of exquisite beauty, and that not only in their own blinded and partial judgments, but in the opinion of every one who sees her, friend or foe, in order to justify the force which the first attractions have upon him that she be descended of honest and conscientious though poor and obscure parents who having preserved their integrity through great trials and afflictions have by their examples as well as precepts laid deep in the girl's mind the foundations of piety and virtue it is necessary that to the charms of person this waiting-maid should have an humble teachable mind fine natural parts a sprightly yet inoffensive wit a temper so excellent and a judgment so solid as should promise by the love and esteem these qualities should attract to herself from her fellow-servants superior and inferior that she would become a higher station and be respected in it and that after so good a foundation laid by her parents she should have all the advantages of female education conferred upon her the example of an excellent lady improving and building upon so worthy a foundation a capacity surprisingly ready to take in all that is taught her an attention assiduity and diligence almost peculiar to herself at her time of life so as at fifteen or sixteen years of age to be able to vie with any young ladies of rank as well in the natural genteelness of her person as in her acquirements and that in nothing but her humility she should manifest any difference between herself and the high-born it will be necessary moreover that she should have a mind above temptation that she should resist the offers and menaces of one upon whom all her worldly happiness seemed to depend the son of a lady to whom she owed the greatest obligations a person whom she did not hate but greatly feared and whom her grateful heart would have been glad to oblige and who sought to prevail over her virtue by all the inducements that could be thought of to attract a young unexperienced virgin at one time or to frighten her at another into his purposes who offered her very high terms her circumstances considered as well for herself as for parents she loved better than herself whose circumstances were low and distressful yet to all these offers and menaces that she should be able to answer in such words as these which will always dwell upon my memory i reject your proposals with all my soul may god desert me whenever i make worldly grandeur my chiefest good i know i am in your power i dread your will to ruin me is as great as your power yet will i dare to tell you i will make no free-will offering of my virtue all that i can do poor as it is i will do to show you that my will bore no part in the violation of me and when future marriage was intimated to her to induce her to yield to be able to answer the moment i yield to your proposals there is an end of all merit of if now i have any and i should be so far from expecting such an honour that i will pronounce i should be most unworthy of it if i say such a girl can be found thus beautifully attractive in every one's eye and not partially so only in a young gentleman's own and after that what good persons would infinitely prefer to beauty thus piously principled 
thus genteelly educated and accomplished thus brilliantly witty thus prudent modest generous undesigning and having been thus tempted thus tried by the man she hated not pursued not intriguingly pursuing be thus inflexibly virtuous and proof against temptation let her reform her libertine and let him marry her and were he of princely extraction i dare answer for it that no two princes in one age take the world through would be in danger for although i am sensible it is not to my credit i will say that i never met with a repulse nor a conduct like this and yet i never sunk very low for the subjects of my attempts either at home or abroad these are obvious inferences added he not refinements upon my pamela's story and if the gentlemen were capable of thought and comparison would rather make such an example as is apprehended more than less difficult than before but if indeed the young fellow be such a booby that he cannot reflect and compare and take the case with all its circumstances together i think his good papa or mamma should get him a wife to their own liking as soon as possible and the poorest girl in england who is honest should rather bless herself for escaping such a husband than glory in the catch she would have of him for he would hardly do honour to his family in any one instance indeed said the countess it would be pity after all that such a one should marry any lady of prudence and birth for tis enough in conscience that he is a disgrace to one worthy family it would be pity he should make two unhappy why really nephew said sir jacob i think you have said much to the purpose there is not so much danger from the example as i apprehended from sensible and reflecting minds i did not consider this matter thoroughly i must needs say and the business is said lady davers you'll excuse me sister there will be more people here that mr b has married his mother's waiting-maid than will know his inducements not many i believe sister for when tis known i have some character in the world and am not quite an idiot and my faults and having not been one of the most virtuous of men will stand me in some stead in this case though hardly in any other they will naturally inquire into my inducements but see you not when we go abroad what numbers of people her character draws to admire the dear creature does not this show that her virtue has made her more conspicuous than my fortune has made me for i passed up and down quietly enough before handsome as my equipage always was and attracted not anybody's notice and indeed i had as leave these honours were not so publicly paid her for even were i fond to show and parade what are they but a reproach to me and can i have any excellence but a secondary one in having after all my persecutions of her done but common justice to her merit this answers your objections lady davers and shows that my inducements and her story must be equally known and i really think everything i have said considered and that might still farther be urged and the conduct of the dear creature in the station she adorned so much exceeding all i hoped or could expect from the most promising appearances that she does me more honour than i have done her and if i could put myself in a third person's place i think i should be of the same opinion were i to determine upon such another pair exactly circumstanced as we are you may believe my friend how much this generous defence of the step he had taken attributing everything to me and deprecating his worthy self affected me i played with a cork one while with my rings another looking down 
in every way but on the company, for they gazed too much upon me all the time, so that I could only glance a tearful eye now and then upon the dear man, and when it would overflow, catch in my handkerchief the escaped fugitives that would start unbidden beyond their proper limits, though I often tried by a twinkling motion to disperse the gathering water before it had formed itself into drops too big to be restrained. All the company praised the dear generous speaker, and he was pleased to say farther, Although, my good friends, I can truly say that with all the pride of family and the insolence of fortune which once made me doubt whether I should not sink too low if I made my Pamela my mistress, for I should then have treated her not ungenerously, and should have suffered her, perhaps, to call herself by my name. I have never once repented of what I have done. On the contrary, always rejoiced in it, and it has been, from the first day of our marriage, my pride and my boast, and shall be, let others say what they will, that I can call such an excellence and such a purity, which I so little deserve, mine. And I look down with contempt upon the rashness of all who reflect upon me, for they can have no notion of my happiness or her merit. Oh, dear sir, how do you overrate my poor merit? Some persons are happy in a life of comforts, but mine's a life of joy. One rapturous instance follows another so fast that I know not how to bear them. Phew, whistles Sir Jacob, whereabouts am I? I hope by and by you'll come down to our pitch, that one may put in a word or two with you. May you be long thus blessed and happy together, said Lady Davers. I know not which to admire most, the dear girl that never was bad, or the dear man who, having been bad, is now so good. Said Lord Davers, there is hardly any bearing these moving scenes, following one another so quick, as my sister says. The Countess was pleased to say that till now she had been at a loss to form any notion of the happiness of the first pair before the fall, but now, by so fine an instance as this, she comprehended it in all its force. God continue you to one another, added she, for a credit to the state and to human nature. Mr. H., having his elbows on the table, folded his hands, shaking them and looking down. Egad, this is uncommon life, that it is. Your two souls, I can see that, are like well-tuned instruments, but they are too high set for me, a vast deal. The best thing, said Lady Davers, always severe upon her poor nephew, thou ever setst, the music must be equal to that of Orpheus, which can make such a savage as thee dance to it. I charge thee, say not another word to-night. Why, indeed, aunt, returned he, laughing, I believe it was pretty well said for your foolish fellow, though it was by chance, I must confess, I did not think of it. That, I believe, replied my lady, if thou hadst, thou'dst not have spoken so well. Sir Jacob and Mr. B. afterwards fell into a family discourse, and Sir Jacob told us of two or three courtships by his three sons, and to his two daughters, and his reasons for disallowing them and I could observe he is an absolute tyrant in his family, though they are all men and women grown, and he seemed to please himself how much they stood in awe of him. I would not have been so tediously trifling but for the sake of my dear parents, and there is so much self-praise, as it may seem, from a person on repeating the fine things said of herself, that I am half of opinion I should send them to Kent only, and to think you should be obliged to me for saving you so much trouble and impertinence." do dear miss be so free as to forbid me to send you any more long journals but common letters only of how you do and who and who's together and of respects to one another and so forth letters that one might dispatch as sir jacob says in a twinkling and perhaps be more to the purpose than the tedious scrawl which kisses your hands 
from yours most sincerely p b do dear good sir simon let miss polly add to our delights by her charming company mr murray and the new affair will divert you in her absence so pray since my good lady darnford has consented and she is willing and her sister can spare her don't be so cross as to deny me end of letter thirty three part two